We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, we feel very lucky to have a slice of the time and a busy week for Seth Dillon, who's CEO of the Babylon Bee, many of your favorite publication. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for joining us in the midst of this uh, unfolding, bizarre, like Orwellian dystopia that you guys are dealing with. I, I want to start actually by reading one of your headlines. Taliban spokesman finally banned from Twitter after sharing Babylon B headline. Uh, could you walk listeners through exactly what you guys have been dealing with over the last few days? I don't even know how you found that headline. It, was it on Twitter? Um, are we allowed to post our headlines on Twitter? I did see that one on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a little nuts. You know, we, we expected this at some point. It was not like we were uh, laboring under any delusions that that none of this stuff is ever going to come back to bite us. You know, we hit we hit these issues pretty firmly. We defend women. We defend reason. We defend truth. Um, we do it with characteristic humor and satire. But um, but, you know, we are trying to speak the truth to culture through our satire. And so and this is one of the confusing things for some people is like, oh, wait a minute, you know, I thought it was satire. I thought they're just jokes. I thought when you get fact checked, do you think that's ridiculous because you're satire? It's not actually true. You know, these are these are fake stories. Well, yes, the details of the stories are fake, but there's still some underlying point that we're making. Um, and we're trying to direct people to the truth using humor, exaggeration, irony, et cetera. So um, anyway, just to just to give a little context on that. But um, I mean, what's been happening is we 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 were responding to this issue where USA Today had named Rachel Levine a woman of the year. Yeah. Uh, amongst, I guess, a bunch of other uh, individuals, and uh, and we mocked that with a parody, and uh, and and as our as we did like our own little version of this, where we named Rachel Levine Man of the Year, and uh, Twitter did not like that. They considered that hateful conduct. Um, you know, it's 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 referencing a particular individual and misgendering them. Um, I'm of the view that you know saying that a man is a woman is misgendering them, but um, they have a different definition of misgendering and yeah. woman for that matter. Well, and then they, they kicked your editor in chief, Kyle Mann off Twitter. Um, they, they locked him from his account for saying maybe they'll let us back onto the Babylon B Twitter account. If we can throw a few thousand Uyghurs in a concentration camp. So he uh -huh. gets suspended um, for that. But the people who are actually throwing the Uyghurs into concentration camps are free to use the platform. Yeah, and so many people, and, and I don't understand why jokes like this are so hard to comprehend for a lot of people, but but people think that he's saying something hateful there. He's literally pointing out that there's bad conduct happening that's not being punished, but our jokes are being punished. He's not endorsing that behavior. He's not actually saying we want to throw people in a concentration camp. He's saying that maybe if we did, Twitter would treat us like the other people that actually are throwing people in concentration camps, right? Right. So um, it's just it's madness. Yes, he, he's his uh, his his account's been locked. He's appealing that the B's account is locked right now. Um, and we submitted our appeal uh, and are waiting for a response on that. So, um, you know, it's it's not looking very hopeful because their their policy on this is pretty clear. Um, the, the question is, should they have a policy on this? Is it reasonable? Um, and are they enforcing this kind of stuff fairly, which I don't think that they are. So. Right. 
And that's, I think, a really important question is if they're going to have these standards, they have to enforce them fairly. And they seem very clearly not to be doing that. You tweeted uh, one of the jobs of the satirist is to poke holes in the popular narrative, but Twitter's rigging the system so you can only promote it. This makes it difficult, if not impossible, to use comedy to speak truth to power. Um, and, and you tweeted that mentioning you were going to be on a Tucker show that night. I want you to like, could you actually flesh out that argument? Because it's so true and so interesting. But basically, they are rigging the system so that if you want to have a platform to use satire to challenge power, they're the ones in, ultimately in charge of you. You are using their platform and they're the powerful. They're the powerful and they're setting the narrative. They're basically defining the terms and, and the parameters um, of the conversation so that you have to speak on their terms using their language and acknowledging only facts that they consider to be facts. And so if you go outside of that, even in jest, you break outside of, of that mold, even to joke, um, then you then you get removed from the platform. And so and it's in that sense that that comedians whose job is to really, you know, uh, hold power accountable and, and push back on on craziness and, and, and nonsense like this. Um, you know, there really shouldn't be things that are off limits for us in that sense. And and in the fact that we're not able to actually make these jokes just simply means that we can't hold power account accountable uh, without being kicked off the platform. So they're really just proving our point when they do stuff like that. Um, um, but they're you know, obviously, there's going to be comedians who are able to stay on these platforms because they just uh, parrot the lines that they're supposed to. They they affirm this stuff. And they promote the popular narrative. So, but it, but that really does seem to me to be um, a total misunderstanding of what what health, what not just what healthy discourse should look like, uh, but what but what comedy should be, and the purpose of comedy, and the purpose of satire. Um, it's it's totally missing all of that. So I don't know how these plan. No one at any level high up in these companies understands that or sees that. Uh, and realizes not only the bad look that it is for them, but the bad effects that that has on society is just beyond me. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I'm curious of what you think about how bad of a look this is for Twitter, because it gets into this question of whether Twitter is going to lose any of its own market power by behaving poorly and in a way that is out of touch with the, the public that uses its product. Um, is there a point where you think Twitter, by banning satirists and jokes that like most of the country doesn't think Rachel Levine is a woman, um, but do you think there's a point where Twitter will, will sort of hit a brick wall and you maybe not enforce the standards that it way it, the way that it has when it comes to you guys. I think that, you know, one of the things that I've said is that, is that we need to stand up um, in large numbers and speak the truth. I mean, imagine if like, imagine if tens of millions of people were willing to say things that, that Twitter considers hateful, but aren't actually hateful, you know, just like a statement of fact, um, but that Twitter deems hateful they would they would have be forced to make a decision. Do they really want to ban all of those people? Um, and if they do, I think they'd ban themselves into irrelevance. But they're not being pushed to that point because no one's really standing up. You know, most of the people that I know who have been dinged for this, they go back and they delete the tweet that Twitter wants them to delete. And this is the craziest thing of uh, the craziest part of the whole thing, in my opinion, is that Twitter has the power and the right to delete that tweet if they want to on their own and just notify us, hey, we deleted your tweet. It violated our terms. And then that's it. That's the end of it, right? But they don't want to do that. It's not enough to do that. They actually want us to acknowledge that we engage in hateful conduct, grovel at their feet, bend the knee, and delete it ourselves, or else we can't access our account. 
And there aren't many people who are um, who are willing to basically stand in the face of that and say, you know, we're willing to give up our followers, our audience and this platform to, to, to stand for the truth here. There aren't many people willing to do that. If there, if there were a lot, then I think it would come back to bite Twitter acting like this. But the fact that so many people are cowardly about it um, or are just, you know, trying to go along and get along um, and, uh, and don't see that it's a big deal. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see in the near future them really facing that much pressure to do things differently than they're doing it now. Yeah, it's insane. But you'll have libertarians say, listen, Twitter is a private company. It can do what it wants. And, you know, you were on Tucker show. You have your website, et cetera, et cetera. You're still speaking freely and um, expressing yourself. So why, you know, if, if you have to talk, if you have to talk to that libertarian critic, um, why would you say, no, actually, this is a really big deal. It's not just that we can speak. It's that we have to be able to use some of these major platforms. Well, it's an interesting conversation. And, you know, I don't I, I'm not going to tell you right now that I have it all figured out and know the exact answer to these questions. Um, but I do think that there should be a, a conversation around it. I mean, if you look at if you look at some of the comments that that even justices on the Supreme Court have made, um, there was a case. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but Packingham versus North Carolina. Are you familiar with that case? Yes. And that was the, you know, that was a situation where the state of North Carolina was trying to prevent a, uh, a sex offender from accessing social media platforms. And the Supreme Court actually overruled the state's action and said that the state couldn't prevent him from accessing social media platforms because they're the modern public square. And and, and that's where, you know, if you want to be if you want to be heard, if you want to speak and be heard and speak again and be heard again, then you have to have access to. The modern public square. And so that was a case of state action, right? This was the state that was restricting somebody's rights. And so the Supreme Court stepped in to, to slap that down. But the commentary on that was really interesting. And there's been a lot of, you know, there's been fierce debate around this whole issue of whether or not these platforms being privately owned do in fact constitute the, the, the public square. Um, it's really an unprecedented situation and there needs to be an answer to that, that actually, that actually makes sense. And there needs to be, you know, um, uh, not necessarily regulation around it, but it, but the law needs to clearly be defined in terms of where our rights, uh, end and, and the rights of these companies begin and end. Um, because we really have this conflict right now where you, there is no, physical town square anymore where you can be heard like no one's talking in the physical down, town square they're talking in the digital town square which exists on these privately owned platforms and so whether they're places of public accommodation or should be treated as common carriers as justice thomas has suggested um you know the the answer to this i'm not sure what it is whether it comes from congress or the courts i don't know um, but i do know that if you're not in these if you're not allowed to be on these platforms you are removed uh, from where most meaningful public discourse takes place, not just between individuals, private individuals, but between the government and its citizens. Um, you know, the, the president of the United States is on Twitter. He's not on Gab. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. But, um, but we don't have an answer to this stuff yet.
Well, and speaking of the common carrier suggestion, that's also brings us to the question of, you know, most people host their websites on Amazon um, and most people host their websites on just a couple of companies. And there are some different companies working to kind of build a, an alternative Internet, almost like Silicon Valley. Um, but is that something you guys have considered as well Is whether that like at some point, because of what you say uh, factually, truthfully, when it comes to people like Rachel Levine, that you may have issues with just your website existing in and of itself well i want to worry about one thing at a time yeah. <laughs> you know um i don't know if you can hear or not but my phone is dinging and my slack is going off there's a lot going on right now so i apologize with all the background noise i, I should have silenced everything before we started this oh no um, we're lucky to get your time today <laughs> yeah there's it, there's there's a lot going on um our founder was just uh locked out of his twitter account uh, moments before this interview started so everyone's toppling at the moment Oh, um, it's a mass purge. But, yeah, there's uh, Charlie Kirk went to um, and there's other people who are retweeting th these messages that that are getting people suspended and they're also getting uh, banned and, and you don't know it because they don't have a platform where where you hear from them afterwards. Um, but, you know, yeah, that is a big concern. There's a concern at so many different levels. We've we've faced issues with our email service providers. Mm -hmm. um, we've faced issues, um, you know, potential issues with. Uh, merchant accounts and, uh, you know, these billing platforms in the, in the financial institutions that are used to, to transact with our customers. Um, we run a Shopify store, you know, we could run a foul Shopify's policies. Um, everything from the hosting um, of your app to the hosting of your website to the delivery of your emails and everything in between. Um, you're, you're subject to terms and conditions of, of private, large tech companies um, that are primarily run by leftists every step of the way. And so there's weak points everywhere. And this is and, and it really is a big discussion in, in terms of, um, you know, how do you how do you how do you protect uh, how do you balance the right of these companies to do as they please against the right of the people to be able to transact and say what they think and believe what they want to believe. Um, and our society is wrestling with that right now. And, and there needs to be an answer. Right. Um, and I'm I mean, you guys have interviewed Elon Musk. And I'm also curious as to because what you guys do is so funny and it's so reasonable and factual. If there are people who have reached out to you from maybe from Silicon Valley um, or any of these places and they're, they'll quietly tell you guys, you know, they think this is ridiculous or anything like that. Do you hear from people who come up to you guys and say those things? Yes, um, usually privately. You know, people are people are being very careful. They don't. Th this is the thing is so much business is generated through these platforms. It's a big deal. I don't know that people realize how big of a deal it is for us to take a stand and say that we're not going to unlock our Twitter account. Um, our Twitter account is the way that we reach these people. Um, our Twitter account is the reason that we have a relationship with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Uh, we wouldn't have a connection to them otherwise. So, um, you know, it's, it's a big deal to be able to say, you know, to stand up for the, our right to say what we want to say, we're going to give the, up that platform. It's a really big deal for a business. I think it's less of a big deal for, for someone who just, you know, interacts with you know, some friends and family on there. There's other alternatives for that, right? Um, there aren't a ton of alternatives for that when it comes to reaching a large audience across the aisle in the public sphere for a business or a personality, a public personality. Um, so there's huge cost that. But yeah, there are people who have come to us and expressed support privately. They're not willing to offer it publicly. And that's OK. I understand that. But at some point, you know, I, I do think and I encourage people um, that, you know, we're giving them more power than they should have by censoring ourselves and by being really guarded and trying to play by their rules.
Yeah, and that's I, I wanted to ask if you're hopeful because we talked a little bit earlier about the bad look um, for the vast majority of the country. Twitter's decision here is a bad look for them. Um, but do you think? Are you hopeful that the dam breaks, that there is a straw that breaks the camel's back, uh, just based on the response that you've gotten over the last few days? I am hopeful. Um, you know, I'm I'm cynical about people lately, uh, <laughs> um, but I'm but I'm hopeful in the sense that I understand that that the, these 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 issues and and where people fall on the spectrum of their positions on these on these things. Um, it, it swings back and forth like a pendulum, and 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 sometimes you have to get kind of off to an extreme side of things before people wake up and realize that it's time to push things back the other way. Um, I am hopeful that the pendulum swings back the other way. I do think that there's been a lot of momentum, um, and that some of these things, one or more of these really big situations, will come up, or there will be some watershed moments um, that make a difference. Um, ultimately, I do expect that there will be some sort of solution that's offered either through Congress or the courts that will deal with some of these issues very directly. Um, you know, we may end up with some kind of uh, some kind of protection um, against this kind of I, I would call it politically motivated viewpoint discrimination that happens here where, you know, where the where the system is rigged to basically enforce one side of uh, one one ideology. Uh, conformity of thought. Um, I think that there. I think that there will be an answer to that. I just don't know when it's coming, uh, and if we can play a role in it coming sooner, great. Even if it costs us something. One last question before uh, we let you get back to your extremely busy week, Seth. Would be what's it been like to build a team of conservative comedians, basically conservative satirists? It's something the left has at least owned uh, pretty well over the last half century. Um, although there have been people like PJ O'Rourke, et cetera, et cetera. But in 2022, um, you, I mean, you guys do some of the sharpest satire around. It's it's much funnier than anything on Comedy Central. Um, what's it been like for you guys to build that team and to build your publication? Um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, very nice of you to say that. Uh, I think I, I'm so impressed with our team. We have really funny, really funny writers and brilliant minds involved. And um, it's been a fun experience for the most part. It's been very rewarding because I feel like um, it's not it doesn't really seem like work what we're doing most of the time. You know, for, for the most part, we're having a, a good time just just trying to make people laugh and be funny. Um, but I do think that we're having an impact in a number of ways, I think that, you know, a lot of the feedback that we get and, um, and you know, sometimes with people reaching out to us and saying, you know, that we've changed their, their viewpoint on an issue through a joke. I mean, it's just, it's really cool to have an impact on ideas. And, and when I, when I explain to people like kind of the purpose of what we do or what we're trying to accomplish, what we do, you know, there's a couple of ways I put it, you know, we are trying to speak truth to culture with our, with our humor. There's another way I put it too, you know, we're trying to ridicule bad ideas, and I think we're doing that very effectively. And I think there's a moral good to that. I think it's, I think it's a good thing to ridicule bad ideas before they can, uh, before they can proliferate and become pervasive and, and destroy, become destructive in our society and harmful to children and women and, and the minorities that they're supposed to be helping. Um, you know, I think we're, I think we're playing a, a positive role there and, and a, a positive function. And um, and I think that's very rewarding for our staff. So they're not only having fun doing what they're doing, but they feel like what they're doing is pretty rewarding and impactful. And that's great. I mean, it's it's awesome to be doing entertainment, but also feel like you have a purpose beyond just making people laugh. You know, we're making them think, too. And mm. uh, 
And so it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. I love that. Seth Dillon, CEO of the Babylon Bee. Thank you so much for being generous with your time in the middle of this uh, busy week for you. <laughs> thank you. Of course. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the friend.